Good morning. This morning's reading is from Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself up with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, Everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Tall people here. Hi there. Okay, my name's Paul. If you don't know who I am, I'm one of the leaders here in a church. And I am here to talk to you about the pursuit of pleasure and overcoming sin. Aren't I lucky? (laughs) Sorry. So... Here we are looking at an account that Solomon makes from his own life. It's a very personal kind of reflection from his observations. And I'm sure we can all see bits in it that we will see and and think, yeah, I get that. But when I saw the title and the passage I was given for today, The Pursuit of Pleasure, Overcoming Sin, my first thought was somewhere between, uh, oh no, they found me out. <laughs> and why did I get that one? <laughs> um, we can all feel like that sometimes. Beyond our public smiles, there can be the feeling of I'm not just as wonderful as my dog thinks I am. <laughs> but that's what I've been given, so here we go. Be kind. Now, as we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, I had always loved this book originally. Um, I shared yesterday in Cafe Church that when um, I was first being drawn to the Lord, it was one of the first Old Testament books I read. I'd been looking through the Gospels. And um, and the only reason I went there is because my mum had said to me, I remember her saying that um, she liked it. So I checked it out. Um, and from reading it, the first thing I remember feeling at the time is after seeing meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, I was thinking, wow, I get this. <laughs> I really get this. 
And I got it because that is exactly how I felt at that time. And why I felt like that, I didn't understand yet. So we'll come back to that. So starting with chapter 2, and we start with Solomon saying, I fought in my heart. Come, now I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. Now, the understanding of the heart back then was quite different in, in ways. We know it to be a muscle and a pump. But at that time, it was looked upon as a physical, emotional, and intellectual and moral center of a person. And to be fair, we still very much use it in those terms even now, and the Bible does. We will talk about, you know, someone capturing my heart or uh, breaking my heart or we're going to get to the heart of the matter. So we we do use it that same way, and, and the Bible certainly uses it that way many times. One example I'm taking from the Bible from Luke 6. It says, a good man brings good things out of his... Uh, good, let's try that again. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. So Solomon, was he doing good or evil? Or good or sin? Let's take a look. It's not always 100% clear. We know that Solomon had asked God for a discerning heart to enable him to be a good ruler. And arguably... He was based on many of the decisions that he had made. Yet nobody is perfect, and that's true of Solomon also. But what of his musings and reflections from this verse? Well, firstly, he speaks of laughter. Well, that doesn't seem too bad to me. Seem bad to you? Anyone? No? Okay, no. Well, let's put laughter to the test. What's the difference between in-laws and outlaws? Outlaws are wanted. <laughs> I know, it's very half. And it's very difficult when you're talking about families because, I mean, my dad, he used to hit me with cameras, would you believe? To this day, I still get flashbacks. <laughs> and, uh, and still on the subject of families, my wife, she thinks we should allow our, our, our pets in our bed with us. And it's, and it's a hotly debated subject at home. Um, so I eventually gave in. I've got to be honest, after 10 minutes, the goldfish did eventually settle down. <laughs> well, no harm there, then, eh? <laughs> I guess uh, the quality of the jokes, you may be thinking to yourself, you know what, laughter is meaningless. <laughs> and of course, there is a time to laugh, and I'm sure we will hear more on that concept coming soon. But... As long as we are not laughing at the wrong thing or taking delight in a wrong thing, laughing at someone's misfortunes or mocking them, I don't see a problem there. Nothing wrong with a bit of laughter. And to be fair, there isn't any hint that there was any of that going on there. Then it goes on to say that he tried to cheer himself up with much wine and embrace folly. Now, the cheering yourself up with much wine, getting drunk, seems a bit more cut and dry. Getting drunk is probably not a good idea. You're probably going to have a greater chance of making some bad decisions. Um, And it's something I tend to avoid, not least because, frankly, I'm not very good at holding drink. However, enjoying a glass of wine isn't an issue. 
And if you're better at holding it than me, then maybe a little more isn't an issue. However, if you need to drink, depend on it, that's probably going to be a problem. You're going to be on shaky ground and possible, the possible consequences are obvious. If we depend on anything other than God for our comfort and strength and besides health and social costs, we have perhaps created idols in our lives, something that takes the place of God as central in our lives. Perhaps a clue to Solomon's difficulties and possibly for us. Solomon goes on to say that he undertook great projects, building houses, vineyards, gardens and parks. Again, I don't really see any kind of issue here. We might have called today's uh, sermon how to build a successful property portfolio instead. Probably would have felt more comfortable had it been that. But nothing in it itself is that wrong. Nothing that shouts out that it is sin that needs overcoming. As for owning many slaves, herds and flocks and having great wealth for someone in his position, in his culture at that time, well, are these just the trappings of a wealthy man and a king? In fact, God had bestowed a lot of these things on him. If we read in 1 Kings chapter 3, it says, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will, will never be anyone like you nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honour, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among the kings. All sounds very positive, doesn't it? However, if we keep reading on in verse 8, is where it starts to become clear. Sin may have crept in. Solomon says, I amassed silver and gold for myself, and a treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. Why is that such a problem? Well, first clue, we could go to Deuteronomy 17. He must not take many wives. This is spoken particularly of a king. It says he must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. A compromise, maybe? Had his success made him take his eye off the ball? With riches and fame, did he lose sight of the very God who had so blessed him? Seemingly being able to have so much and do pretty much whatever he wanted without consequence for a time anyway, there was not maybe nothing to reigning in. It seems that the very blessings God had given him may have clouded his objectivity and contributed to him, allowing himself to be led astray. Now, let me leap in. Do not misunderstand me. God does not tempt people. I'm not saying that. When tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. We have the benefit of that from James to understand. God had given him blessings and his position had given him many opportunities. But had he then used these in a godly way? What do we do with what he has blessed us with? Uh, again, we're going to, for a clearer look, we're going to 1 Kings 11. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, 
Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. As the heart of David his father had been, he followed Astoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of Ammonite. Ammonites, sorry. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. It becomes clear that Solomon allowed his love of the opposite sex to compromise his relationship with God. We can't put it any other way. Firstly, to be disobedient and married a foreign woman that he wasn't supposed to. And then for that very reason he wasn't supposed to is because they could lead him astray. And that is exactly what happened. Maybe if he had realized this in himself earlier, then maybe he could have repented, overcome and avoided the rebuke and judgment that God had brought against him. Again, we read. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant, and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it down from the, uh, tear it out of the hand of your son. And there is more information on that. So following other gods, this is where Solomon went wrong. But it started as soon as he compromised. When we, like Solomon, come to that I fought in my heart moment, that is a fork in a road. With two paths lay ahead of us at that point. Solomon could have chosen to take that fork captive, as we have the benefit of reading about in Second Corinthians 10. Or he could just give in to that desire and uh, let that lead his actions. And uh, that was his problem, and that is also our problem. Do we compromise? Back when I first came to faith, in an early time, I had lived my life up to that point pursuing nothing but pleasure. Let's be honest, I was a young man and I did it. Um, and when I sort of first came to Christ, so much stuff fell away. I was able to give up smoking, I gave up drugs, other things just fell away. But some things, for a, part, for a short time, did reappear. And I had to deal with them. And it took some time to learn how to overcome and to learn what it was I was really fighting and how to fight it. So how do we overcome sin? Well, firstly, the most important thing you need to do is come to Jesus. Just as you are. If you are already a Christian or not, the answer is going to be the same. Come to Jesus. 
You need to come to him if you're not a Christian because no one else is going to be able to help you and, and, and give you the forgiveness and the guidance you need. And if you are a Christian, then you still need to come back to him to receive what you need to overcome. Sin in our lives can make us not want to come to God. Think of Adam and Eve hiding in the garden. It may be guilt or shame or the misunderstanding that you can't come to Jesus because you are not good enough yet. I'll just work on A, B and C, we might say to ourselves. Then I'll be able to come to him. The fact is, we are never going to be good enough in our own strength. That's why Jesus came. He took on all our sins, past, present and future, on the cross. It's this simple. And uh, big up her great comfort for this. It's this simple. We have broken God's moral law. When Jesus was on the cross, he was paying the penalty for the wrong we do. So we don't have to pay the penalty for ourselves. Just like standing in a court, whilst we may be guilty, because the fine is paid, we are allowed to go free. Jesus, oh sorry, just before Jesus died on the cross, he had cried out, it is finished. In other words, the debt has been paid. That's why we can be set free to eternal life. So long as we trust in Jesus and believe. In Acts 17.30, from the Amplified Version, um, it's not reading all of it, it says, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. That is to change their old way of thinking, to regret their past sins and to seek God's purpose in their lives. An example for this could be uh, the woman caught in adultery, for instance. We all know the story of uh, the Pharisees marching the woman caught in the act of adultery to Jesus. And they're like asking, ah, she should be stoned. What do you say we should do? And um, he's, obviously we know Jesus says, those without sin, throw the first stone. And one by one as they leave, and uh, he says to her, has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. He says, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Always loved that line. <laughs> Go now, leave your life of sin. It can sound so easy, yet the reality can be far from it. But it is an absolute truth. And that's where overcoming sin begins. It's a decision to turn from your sin. But what next? Considering it's not always that easy. Well, we read in 1 John, 1 John 1, 8, 10. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. As much as we may wish it weren't the case, sin isn't something that just other people have. (laughs) We often see the sin in others more than our own. And uh, I guess, and obviously Jesus was alluding that when he talked about taking a speck out of somebody else's eye when there's a a log in your own. The biggest difference when we talk about overcoming sin is that we are not controlled by it. The best way to do this is to talk to Jesus about it. Pray. 
Now, I'm not being obvious here. I'm sure someone's thinking, well, that is a safe Christian thing to say, isn't it? Pray about it. You know, it's like, well done, Spurgeon. Thanks for that one. (laughs) But it is true. Jesus told Peter to pray that he would not fall into temptation in the garden. And by pray, I mean really, really talk to Jesus. When the thing you don't want to do is the only thing on your mind, talk to him. When the last thing you want to do is to admit what you have done, or maybe done again, again, (laughs) talk to him. (laughs) And uh, tell him what the problem is. Tell him that you feel weak. Tell them that if you're honest, you even want to do it. You are not a surprise to him, and he understands. As it says in the Psalms, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained before me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He knows you better than you know yourself. The Amplified Bible puts it best for me in Hebrews 4. It says, now that we know what we have, Jesus this great high priest with ready access to God, let us not it let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing and experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. Because he understands our weakness, he wants us to come to him. And we are not condemned by him for it. In Romans 8, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to give us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like our bodies. We sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice to our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. And it goes on to say that uh, if we put sin, uh, put, it puts death to sin by the spirit, you will have life. And uh, by the life we lead, the, the spirit, we are our sons and daughters of, Christ, of God. So now you are free from being bound by sin. God's provided a different path for us. Another option, if you like, we've come to that fork in a road again. We're not left with just our sin nature. We have this other nature. Um, And of course, he gives us a new heart and new desires. Galatians 5 puts it this way. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. 
These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation of the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, or was it a business meeting, and other (laughs) sins like these. (laughs) Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces these kinds of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against those kind of things. Sorry, it's a lot of reading. Those who belong to Christ have just nailed their passions and desires to their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Better. So since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. You see, we have a helper. As believers in Jesus, we have put our trust in him and we have the indwelling spirit. John 14. If you love me, obey my commandments. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. See, we now have this other option. It's no longer just us versus our sin, but an option to follow the Spirit and what he gives us. The Spirit is able to be translated to mean advocate or comforter, encourager or counsellor. And let's face it, those attributes are things we need when we are dealing with the struggles and the things that lead us into temptation. And remember the part that there is so important in that is that when he says of the spirit who will never leave you that is so important because if you have got ensnared and it does happen he isn't going to leave you as soon as you take the smallest of steps to stop quenching the spirit as it's described in 1 Thessalonians you will be more aware of the spirit's leading It's never too late to start again. There is nothing you have done that will disqualify you from a fresh start today. In Ephesians, we read, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. It's... That is kind of the key. We have these two natures. You have your your fleshy nature, but you have the spirit, which you can feed. And the one you feed is the one that's going to become stronger in your life. And uh, the spirit enables you to do that. Now, that was a lot of straight Bible reading. Yeah, so forgive me. But there's little I can add in terms of wisdom over what the Bible has already said. I can talk about practical helps in, in dealing with sinful natures, I can, and they're, they're, they're so valid. Confide, confiding in a trusted Christian friend can be invaluable. 
um, when I was going through some of my struggles, I, luckily I, I was able to come to my wife. And I have an amazing wife. <laughs> have an accountability partner, maybe. Someone who will help you examine yourself in terms of walking out your faith. I could, t- I could tell you to remove things from your life that cause you to sin. It might be a person, a situation, or a technology. All of these things can be incredibly helpful and practical. And, uh, but what I share, I share from the Bible reading because that's kind of where I was when I came to Christ. What I had to work out when I was going through my things. It just it was a process of learning and, and going through the Bible and, and learning to apply it. From Hebrews 4, it says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes of him to whom we must give an account. In light of this, let us not bring our shortcomings, uh, rather, let us bring our shortcomings and struggles to him sooner rather than later. We have the indwelling spirit to help us. Let us invite Jesus to examine us and work with us with all those things that can consume us. Lest we get to the end of our lives and find that we reflect on things that consumed us and find out that they held us back, prevented us becoming all that God would have had for us, stopped us being useful in his kingdom. We don't want to be left with the final words of Solomon. When he says, yet when I surveyed all the, that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Because that is all we have when we seek to live for ourselves. We need to deal with this, the stuff now. So let us just bow our heads and just bring out briefly before the Lord. Just reflect on whatever it is you may you feel that is something that keeps reoccurring. And I just say, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you know it all anyway. That we don't need to hide any part of ourselves from you because you know it better than we do. And because of that, we can bring it to you. Knowing that you are rooting for us, you are our advocate that you want us to do well and that you are going to walk with us as we go through it and become conquerors. There's nothing we can't overcome with Christ and we give thanks for that. Amen.